part of where ADHD women struggle is that we say things to say, hey, I'm struggling. And everyone says back, you're right, this is hard. And so you think that your level of struggle is the same as everyone else's because everyone's telling you like, yeah, it's hard, it's a struggle. And we don't realize that when we say we're struggling, we're struggling at a level nine and everyone else is struggling at a level four. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I am your host, Katie Weber. The following is a review that was left by a woman named Kelly over on my website, womenandadhd.com. Kelly writes, Hi, Katie. I don't even know how to begin to say thank you for this podcast. I was just diagnosed in January with ADHD combined type, and I am 52 years old. As I listened to your podcast yesterday for literally four or five hours, I have never been more encouraged about my neurodivergent life. I laughed, I cried, I discovered some of my self-worth, and I discovered that I am not my diagnosis. That may not mean much to some, but to me, it's healing decades of pain and suffering because I just thought I was defective. I am grateful for you and the sacrifices you make to bring this content to the masses. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh gosh, thank you so much for sharing that, Kelly. This is so meaningful because yes, there is so much for us to unravel when it comes to realizing just how much we were struggling and just how hard we were working to keep our heads above water. Oh man, I feel you girl. I'm so glad you've been able to feel that same kind of happiness and gratitude that I and so many of my guests now feel as a result of this diagnosis. Oh, it is intense, right? And as always, thank you to those of you who've taken the time to stop what you're doing and write me a review. I know how difficult it can be to harness all those swirling thoughts and put them into writing. And I absolutely love and cherish every one of them. And if you've been loving this podcast and haven't yet left a review, please consider doing so. It helps this show get noticed by more women who are looking for answers and community just like we are. Okay. Can you believe this is episode 30? Uh, And this is a really fantastic one in which I interview Patricia Sung. If you've listened to Patricia's podcast, Motherhood in ADHD, you know just how intelligent and articulate she is. I feel like I have learned so much from her about this journey, and I'm so grateful for her voice in this community. We talk all about the struggles of motherhood that are unique to ADHD women. Patricia has such a perceptive viewpoint because she was diagnosed 20 years ago and has had a lot of time to analyze and understand what it's like to be a woman and a mom and a wife and an entrepreneur with ADHD. And it's also why she's so great at providing other moms with the tools and resources needed to make motherhood a much less chaotic experience. And while she's an introverted Midwesterner at heart, Patricia now lives in Houston along with her two young boys and her extroverted non-ADHD husband. Okay, enjoy. Thank you, Patricia, for joining me. I'm very excited to hear your story. I know I've heard so much of it already through your podcast, Motherhood in ADHD, Um, but you are one of the rare guests for me who was diagnosed quite a while ago. Um, You were diagnosed when you were 20, correct? Um, you know, it's been so long. It was either 19 or 20. I can't remember, but I I can't remember those years either. So that, uh, (laughs) I mean, that was 20 years ago. So I'm, I'm dating myself now, you know, how old I am. Um, but yeah, it was my sophomore year of college. Okay. And so tell me about that 
um, you know, what were some of the things that led up to you thinking you might have it or it was suggested and what led up to the diagnosis at that age? Uh, well, I totally fell apart. That's how I ended up getting my diagnosis. I was a really great student my whole life. I mean, like honor roll, always did my homework. I mean, very, my coping mechanism of choice is perfectionism. So I always did very well, like above and beyond. And I held it together all through school. I mean, I was a little like swan kicking, kicking, kicking under the water to keep up, but I looked great doing it. And That's so such a great analogy. <laughs> I was, I think what the blessing of being in grade school and high school is that you show up in the morning and then they tell you where to go. They tell you go to first period, then you go to second period, then you go to third period. You have designated times to work on your homework called study hall or lunch. You could like it, this whole schedule and the structure is built in for you. And then when I went to college, all of a sudden there was zero structure and I'm the one responsible for getting up. And of course, you know, as a freshman, you have your low man on the totem pole and you get last pick for classes. And I signed up for like an 830 class my freshman year. I did the same thing. Latin, five days a week. Why? I mean, I, I hardly ever went. I don't know why same. I decided to do that. But it was like the only choice I had. And, um, you know, back then we registered for classes with the telephone when you had to like punch in. Yeah. The well, you know, with my ADHD that I didn't know about, here I am punching codes for like, you know, I mean, it had been like 40 minutes of punching codes, trying to get into classes. And then they would tell you it's full and you try again. And I finally think I just picked, I was like, I got in and then I was done. And then I realized like, oh crap, what did I do? Um, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> I've never been a morning person. But so, you know, you have this new freedom and the structure that I would have told you, I mean, granted, I was 17, probably didn't know any better. I would have told you that I was ready and I was organized and I was prepared for this. And then when I got there, I was not. I was not prepared for being responsible for getting up myself and not having my mom there to wake me up 15 times before I get out the door or you know, keeping up with schedules that are different every day of the week and keeping up with reading 150 pages for one class on my own. And all of that irregular workload combined with the lack of structure, I literally just fell apart. I was a mess. And thankfully when I went to go to the, um, to the doctor at the student health center, she was familiar with it. And she said, I think you have ADD. And my reaction was like, I don't even know what that is what do you like, what do you mean? And when she explained it to me, I remember just looking at her and being like, oh, wh what? Like, <laughs> it, it just like, didn't even compute. I'm like, okay. So she sends me over to the student, um, services center. And I met with a psychiatrist on staff and he diagnosed me. And then I was just so blessed along the way where I was, like connected with this young lady who was doing her graduate work on her master's. And so I was part of her thesis project and she did like an eight hour battery of tests on me and analyzed everything about like 
how I functioned and what I could do and like everything from like intelligence level to like a lot of executive functioning skills. And so it was fascinating to get these results back and be like, wow, I'm in the 99th percentile in half the stuff. And then I get to my short, uh, short-term memory and I have the short-term recall of a third grader. You're like, oh, okay. Like when you hear that and you're like, I have the skill level of an eight-year-old in recalling information back. And I still, here I am 20 years later, I remember which part of the test that was because it was so hard. She was listing out like 10 numbers in a row and I had to remember them all and then repeat them back to her. And then I had to repeat them back in backwards order. So the last number she said, I had to say it first and repeat them backwards. And I literally was like, I, I have no idea what you said. And to sit there and be able to look at these results and say, oh, like there really is something wrong here. And it's not just in my head that I'm struggling was such a blessing. And then she was friends with a girl who was in law school who had ADHD. And this young lady took me under her wing and I would go sit in the law school library with her and study. And she showed me how to study, like how to use white noise. I mean, in this, again, back in the day, I had my Walkman with a cassette tape of white noise. And it was crazy how I could, like there was something about this type of white noise tape that she gave me. And I don't know if it was magical because it was the first time I had ever encountered it or because there really was something special about this noise. But it totally tuned out everything else. And I could really focus in on what I was doing and grasp material. And I wasn't reading the paragraph six times. And I feel like it's like, it's a part of it. It's a gift because I, I love reading and I love learning. So if I was into it, I didn't have trouble, but here, you know, when you get to college and you have to take all these basic classes and I'm like, I really don't care about sociology. It was hard to sit there and like really learn it. Whereas when I was in high school, I could just you know, skim through the chapter once, pay attention as much as I did in class and be fine. And now here I am in college where like that doesn't fly. You have to be in there taking notes. You have to be in there paying attention and going to class every day and, you know, reading all of the text and like learning the difference between professors who go mostly on their own lectures versus the book versus the people who are like 50-50. I mean, that like that was a skill that I had to learn. I didn't realize that was even a skill, I guess. But this wonderful woman who was in law school explained to me how to take notes, how to, like, how, how to function basically as a college student with ADHD. And that's really how I made it through was through like divine intervention of some really wonderful women who poured into me and taught me what to do and how to make it work. That's amazing. I, I, cause I certainly imploded when I went to university <laughs> as well. Um, and you know, it's funny cause I have this conversation with a lot of women about like when ADHD symptoms really sort of present themselves and when it's most common for women to get diagnosed. And so there's the hormonal theory, which is puberty, 
pregnancy, postpartum, and then menopause. So that this is like a, you know, a hormonal surge estrogen issue. And then there's the structure theory, which is, you know, when you're going into situations like you were saying, like, um, when you're in high school, there's so much more structure or even like I, you know, I really struggled in middle school. So it was the elementary school Mm -hmm. to junior high transition of less structure. Um, and then, and again, in university, when I was free, you know, nobody was waking me up. There were no, I was my own accountability. And so I totally imploded. And then again, with babies, you know, mm-hmm. so I don't know which it is. I, I go back and forth. I, I think it's probably a combination of the two. I think it's, it's fascinating to me. I mean, our brain is what it is. Mm-hmm. Like we have structural differences in our brain, but I think those two big changes highlight what is already there. When you are in a good rhythm, you feel good and you feel confident. You're like, all right, I'm rocking this. And then something comes along and messes it up, which is how we feel. Like my routine got messed up. This, you know, threw me off my day. Instead of like part of our, I I see this like very common theme with ADHDers is that we're thrown off by this like surprise, quote unquote surprise that comes in and ruins what we had planned. But yet we don't ever expect there to be a surprise, but there always is a surprise. There's like life never just floats along beautifully. It's always changing. It's always moving. So it's a kind of like a funny like hiccup in our brains is that we don't plan for the problem because there's always going to be a problem. And that change in structure is a highlight of when we see it more obviously, because we are really good at adjusting and trying to figure out how to make it work because we're used to being overcomers. Mm-hmm. And then like when we're feeling good and then it get, we get knocked down, like that's when we feel the heat of it. And then with the hormones, that's another way that we see the, what's already there, like kind of just like shines a headlight on it. And you know, there's a huge connection between estrogen and our neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. So when you hit puberty in middle school, you have both more hormones and less structure. And then for women, like we have hormone changes every month. Like, so the more that I talk to women about that whole cycle, it's like, there is a huge difference in that week leading up to your period and the week that you have your period. And for some people, it even stretches a little bit longer than that two week span. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like 50% of the time we're feeling our symptoms way more. And then we have slightly less than 50% of the time where we're feeling much better about ourselves and how things are going. So it's, those are the times where I wish I was so much more attentive <laughs> to to my, you know, because, you know, I always hear about that. And I'm sort of like sitting here thinking like, am I in a worse mood during my period or the week period? Like, I'm like, I can never remember. And I'm just like, ah, I really should write that down because I'm terrible. <laughs> like, I remember when my daughter was 13 and um, I don't think she'll mind if I say this, but like when, you know, when she first got her period and, and, you know, she was like, how old were you when you got it? And I was like, I don't 
remember. And then she didn't get it for, she had it once and then didn't get it for a couple months. And she was like, is that normal? And I was like, I don't know. And she was like, do you cramp? And I was like, I don't know. Like, just like, it amazes me yeah, how inattentive I can be about <laughs> Um, so, so 20 years ago, I mean, I feel like I'm like talking to a pioneer uh, with a woman <laughs> because it's sort of like, you know, I'm part of this, you know, I was so recently diagnosed. I'm part of the, what I like to call the pandemic diagnoses or the lockdown diagnoses. Mm. I feel like there was a huge proliferation of, of diagnoses this year because so many women, so many mothers struggled with lockdown yeah. and because lack of structure, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> that, that it was like, highlights. And then also like your stress greatly affects your hormones. So here we are in that same cycle of where we have less structure and more hormonal issues. So yeah, mothers yeah. are on the struggle bus right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, but what would it, what was it like? And the other thing I always talk to them about too, which is, um, you know, looking back at all the times in my life that I struggled the most, like having babies, God, how would things have been different had I known, you know? And so I love talking to women who have, you know, have that perspective. I remember when I interviewed Elizabeth Brink and she, you know, was diagnosed at nine and she was like, it's actually not really any easier. And I'm like, I wish I could be like, like part of me is like, I want to be like, well, yeah, you could have known. No, like it really was just still a Hamas. Yeah. Right. (laughs) But I feel like you probably experienced a lot more stigma than we're experiencing these days because I sort of feel like there, or no, I mean, I don't know. I'm curious. What was it? What did it feel like at such a young age to have a, a a disease, you know, or a disorder that, I mean, it sounds like you were very well cared for, um, in terms of the your mentors and the people who were helping you. Um, but did it feel like you had this rare disorder that only boys had or, or. Yeah. I mean, if you think that like, okay, so I, I was diagnosed in the year 2000 and back then, like, I know there's a lot of people, it's like, there's this whole like Instagram community of, you know, ADHD advocates and people are like, they, people just don't understand it. And I'm like, you, back then people not only didn't understand it, like didn't even know what it was. I mean, yeah. um, like when I was diagnosed, there was still the distinction between ADD versus ADHD. And now it's all just one clump with subtype. I mean, it's like, there's been a lot of changes in 20 years, but I don't really feel like it was so much a stigma just because people really didn't know about it. So there wasn't uh, like a a negative feeling about it because people just didn't know about it. But also like I hid it. I didn't tell anyone because at that point I was old enough that I didn't have to, I mean, like I had accommodations in school if I needed them, but most of the time I tried to do it on my own, which looking back probably was not the best plan. But at the time I didn't really understand that either. Like that didn't, like, I didn't really understand how that could have been so much more beneficial had I used it. It's kind of like I had these tools, but I didn't know how to use it. And it's like, well, you can have a really cool CNC router, but if you don't know what it does, like, doesn't really matter, you know? Right. Um, and I hope I didn't just nerd out too bad on <laughs> CNC routers, but, um, so I used to, um, own a makerspace. So got a little nerdy there for a second. Hold on. Um, let me reel that in. Um, but so there wasn't really this stigma because one, people didn't know about it. And two, I just didn't tell anybody. Like I didn't have to. Um, Mm. I just tried to hide it and do my best to blend in. 
I'm sure I have like 43 layers of masks on at this point that I am now trying to peel away and really be true to who I am on the inside. Um, but yeah, that because it wasn't really known, like there just wasn't, there wasn't like that horrible stigma about it because I didn't have to tell anybody. Like yeah. I was old enough to decide it was on me. And granted, it definitely like kicked me in the rear a lot of times, like especially like in work situations where I knew it was an ADHD issue, but I didn't necessarily know how to go about doing it in a better way. Like I feel mm -hmm. like I had the information of a diagnosis, but I didn't really have enough understanding about it to utilize it well, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Now, were you on medication at the time? Did they put you on? So in college, right I did have, um, I did the, uh, take the short acting, uh, methylphenidate. So Redolin, mm -hmm. um, for studying, but back then, again, we also didn't have a lot of like information on how to best use it. There weren't like the long acting ones didn't even exist that much. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I guess they could have I actually shouldn't, I shouldn't quote that because I don't actually know, but I don't think that they did because I mean, if I think back to all the women that I know who did know and did take medicine, like they always had to go to the nurse to get your medicine at lunchtime. And so right. I don't even think long acting existed back then. Yeah. Like, you know, back in the 1800s. Well, <laughs> yeah. um, so I would just take it when I was studying, like I didn't even understand enough of it to realize how much it was affecting me in the rest of my life. I really thought it was just about the studying because before I had medicine, I would stay up and drink Frappuccinos and study with Frappuccinos instead. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even know how much it was affecting me, like from a broader scale in terms of executive functioning and all that. And I just tried to make it work. I never had Ritalin, but obviously, cause I wasn't diagnosed, but I, when I was studying in university, I had a cup of coffee, like a full large cup to go cup of coffee. And I would add a packet of hot chocolate mix to it. And then a <laughs> full box of junior mints. <laughs> A full box of junior. That sounds delicious. I know, right? And that was like my, it was terrible, but it was that, I was like, that's how I self-medicated when I needed to study yeah. and when I was pulling all-nighters. And of course, now I look back and I'm like, yeah, that's actually pretty kind of intuitive <laughs> because it was just like chocolate and caffeine and then and like sugar? this goop of sugar that all just like sat at the bottom that I could spoon out at the mm -hmm. very end of all of this like mush of junior men's. Yeah, I oh always God, laugh. That at makes me want to vomit like, now, but <laughs> it always makes me laugh. People are like, "Oh, like I really don't want to try medication," and then they're like the person with the like, um, you know, convenience store sized mug of coffee, yeah. and I'm like, "Well, you and your gallon jug of coffee are totally self medicating, right?" Like, yeah, I don't want to call you out, but just say <laughs> <it. laughs> that, that that's you self-medicating you're yeah. just you're just using um a easily purchased version of it instead of one that takes small miracles of god in order to get <laughs> you know and university was also when i first tried prozac that was kind of like my 
beginning of a of another like 20 year journey of mm-hmm. tinkering with various cocktails of antidepressants and always feeling like they weren't working but also feeling like if this is how I am on antidepressants imagine how bad I would be not on them you know that mm-hmm. was always sort of the approach I took so I kept doing them because I was afraid of not always trying and so you know that's something that I I think a lot about since my diagnosis which is really just like how much of this how much of this long history of of postpartum depression, especially postpartum anxiety and depression and anxiety and treating those symptoms, how much of that relates back to the lack of a diagnosis? I'm sure a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I too, I mean, I went through a really rough bout of depression around that same time um, between, you know, the almost failing out of school. And then I was a victim of rape and like, it all was just like all the things happened at one time and it was not good. And so I was taking an antidepressant as well. And I think while that did help, it's not necessarily like the greatest treatment for ADHD. And I don't, and I don't like, I'm not saying that in the way of like knocking it. What I'm saying is that a lot of women have a diagnosis to go along with their ADHD of like anxiety or depression or what, you know, something in that category. We have a lot of friends that come along with our ADHD and that gets attention first. And that's how we get to the doctor because of the chronic fatigue or the depression or the suicidal thought, like all of that drives us to the doctor. And that's usually what gets diagnosed first. So on one hand, it's great because it got us to the doctor in the first place and we're getting some help. And when you're treating something, that's better than nothing. So that's helpful, but obviously when you know the root cause is the ADHD, then you can treat it so much more effectively because you're getting to the root and not dealing with just, you know, the overgrowth of branches that are getting in the way. And so I think that helped me a lot. Like I had really bad postpartum anxiety with my oldest and taking medicine for that made a huge difference in my mental health from that aspect, but also for my ADHD. And I think whatever treatment you're doing is better than no treatment, but you do want to keep digging until you get down to what the the root is. And so yes. I just think there's so many women out there who have been struggling with these things that are caused by their ADHD. Like, yeah, you're anxious if your brain's always going. Yeah, you're depressed if you feel like you're failing all the time. Yeah, you have suicidal thoughts if you just keep failing over and over and over again. Like, that makes sense. Like, that's hard. Mm -hmm. But I want to spread the message of like, but there's more. Like, get in there. And when you treat your ADHD, that ripple effect makes all those other things better. You know, even when I was with my health coaching certification, we talked about it. It was called the thumbtack approach, you know, which is going to a doctor complaining about the fact that you have a pain in your ass and the doctor giving you medication for the pain and not asking why you have a pain in your ass. And then you're like, oh, I sat on a thumbtack. <laughs> and it's like, and yeah. that's sort of a lot of the time finding the source of the pain is usually something that's left to us. Um, because the doctors will stop at treating the symptom. And I think, like you said, like, I think it's so important to address the symptoms immediately because often those symptoms are, are, are pain and vital. And, you know, and they are things that are, uh, need immediate attention. And they're the things that get us to the doctor's office in the first place. Uh, but yeah, always going further. And that's where I think like, also I, um, I feel like 
uh, the changes that I have made beyond medication, the changes, my lifestyle changes are what have made the real difference from that point. I'm so yeah, I certainly wasn't against medication. I tried it, but I think by the time I had tried medication, I had already made enough changes. I mean, I'm old enough and kind of had intuitively come <laughs> to a lot of decisions before my diagnosis that I didn't feel, I felt like I had already made enough changes in my lifestyle that the medication wasn't adding anything, any benefit to that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think first I want to touch on the first thing you said, because I wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly agree. Like if your doctor is not taking you seriously, when you talk about this, then you need a new doctor. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. They, there are many wonderful, wonderful doctors out there that don't know enough about ADHD. And it's just like, if you have a heart problem, you see a cardiologist, you don't go see like, you know, a, a dentist for your heart problem. They are both very qualified individuals in their area of specialty. But don't go see a heart doctor for teeth. You don't see a teeth doctor for hearts. Like that's just kind of like common sense. But <laughs> because we feel inferior and we have doubted ourselves for so long that we take the word of this person who has a degree over what we know is true in our hearts. So I'm not like down talking your doctor, they might be great when you have a sinus infection. But if they don't know about ADHD, then don't go see them for that. Like you need to find someone who knows what they're talking about. And unfortunately, at this point, like in the year 2021, not all doctors know enough about that to be the specialist that you see for that. So I tell everyone like, yes, you can start there. But even if you have a very understanding GP who's like, yeah, I... I think you do have it. Let me help you. Like if you're trying to try medicines, you want the person who's got a lot of experience and is going to help you figure that out quickly. You don't want the person who's like throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping it sticks. So you need to see the person who knows what they're talking about. And I know it's expensive, but like your brain and your health and your family's well-being is worth that expense if you can swing it. Yeah. I know. And it's funny because it feels like self-advocacy is such a difficult thing for us to begin with. The irony there mm -hmm. is, is not lost. Yeah. But anyway, but then going back like to what you're saying about lifestyle changes, I mean, medicine is one tool in your toolbox. It For me, medicine is a huge help. And like all of the things aside, to me, what it boils down to is my emotional regulation. That makes the biggest difference for me. Like when I'm taking my medicine, I am so much more patient with my kids. I can like have that pause before I blow up most of the time. Like that's not hundred percent, but you know, most of the time I like the medicine gives me enough breaks in my brain. Like it stimulates the breaks to say, Ooh, you are driving me insane right now. I'm going to take a deep breath and try to rephrase this sentence. Whereas when I'm not on my medicine, I, I mean, my mood is like, bam, bam. Like I can lose it on the turn of a dime. Is that the saying? Turn of a dime? No. What's that saying? What is I'm that saying? Good question. <laughs> I totally was like, turn on that turn on, I can turn on a dime. Is that what? Yeah. I think it's Maybe like turn it on is. a dime. 
That's why I see this is an ADHD thing. I'm like, I know that phrase and it's just not coming to me. So just, I'm going to have to pick a different one. No, uh, maybe that's it, but it sounds, you're right. It sounds a, a little it's off. Turn but... on a dime. So like my mood will turn on a dime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Okay. That sounds good. So my mood turns on a dime. Like, and the people who suffer from that are my kids. So I take my medicine for that. Like that's the, like, to me, it's not about being able to absorb things while reading and all that. Like, yes, that would have been great when I was in school, but it's all about the emotional regulation piece for me. Like that's why I take my medicine, but that is only one tool. You can't wave your magic, like methylphenidate wand and fix your whole life. Like your medicine creates an environment that is more suitable for learning and employing all of your strategies and tools that you have accumulated. But if you don't have any, all you did was create a really great environment. It's kind of like if you planted a garden and you like did a really great job of tilling the soil and putting in the nutrients, but then you didn't bother to like put a plant in, you're not going <laughs> to grow anything. Like you are creating a great environment, but you still have to do the work of learning how to do things differently that makes sense for your brain and employing all of the tools and all the strategies that you can and that work for you. It's just one. So just to backtrack a little bit, you, um, you know, went through your twenties and, and then motherhood, what, what changed for you? Did it, did it feel like, because I mean, I feel like I struggled so much and, and part of me just sort of felt like everybody struggles in motherhood, right? Like it, how can you not? It's, it's insane. Um, so I'm curious with your perspective, you know, was it, um, did your ADHD kind of escalate? I don't even know if that's what the symptoms escalate in motherhood. And like, what do you feel, um, what do you feel like women with ADHD struggle with more in motherhood than say a neurotypical mother might, because I just always sort of assume that everybody secretly hates it you know, like, or everybody just secretly struggles and hates babies. That's the thing. I was like, I used to always say like, if they could uh, just show up at age two, that would be great. I would be such a better mom, but you have to like birth them. And then they're just these tiny screaming balls of need for so long. No, I say the same thing. I'm like, if I could just birth 18 month olds, I'd yeah. be all in. Like, I don't even care that they're like way bigger. If I could birth an 18 month old, I would gladly skip that first year and a half. Yeah. Like hands down, no questions asked. Like, oh, um, yeah. So I, I mean, I like how this is all like tying together because again, motherhood is that same thing. It's now when you have a newborn, you have lack of structure and mm -hmm. too many hormones. And so, so much noise, the sensory thing. Yes, <laughs> like, from like a structure standpoint, like I was thinking about this actually earlier today, when you have a baby, you're on this like three hour cycle that never ends and you're not sleeping and sleep is a huge component of taking care of your ADHD. So you're sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. You have all these hormones running around. You're on this weird schedule. Like you had one version of life and then this baby comes out and now you have a completely different version of life. There's nothing about your life that is similar. Even if you're still doing things that you used to do, like working or taking care of family, like you have to do those things in a new way because you have to accommodate keeping this thing alive. So when you throw all that in plus the hormones, it's like 
a shock to your body. And that's where you see all your symptoms. I'm also like a flare up because the it's all that hormone issue. So your dopamine and your neurotransmitters aren't running the same way that they normally do. I mean, it, oh, it's such a hot mess. Um, <laughs> I'm just also, I'm like, I'm like remembering, you know, caring for a newborn. You have the, you know, you, you said the sensory input where the baby's constantly making noise. And I don't know if any of your kids were, um, I got an expert level baby with my and first my one. second was, my second was colicky and it, yeah, I, it's amazing. We both made it out alive. Yes. I mean, my oldest son just cried all the time unless you were holding him mm-hmm. and yeah. that, yeah, the noise level was awful. And you're right. The same thing. I was like, everyone would make little things about like, oh yeah, well, mother, it is hard. Or yeah, you know, you are tired. But part of where ADHD women struggle is that we say things to say, hey, I'm struggling. And everyone says back, you're right, this is hard. And so you think that your level of struggle is the same as everyone else's because everyone's telling you like, yeah, it's hard. It's a struggle. And we don't realize that when we say we're struggling, we're struggling at a level nine and everyone else is struggling at a level four. Yeah. So yes, everyone does struggle. Motherhood is hard, but we're struggling in a different way because we have different brains. We have different chemicals running through our brains. We have more of the sensory overload. We have too much estrogen hormone problems running around. I mean, it's like all the things at one time and motherhood involves so much executive functioning. Like it's executive functioning. I'm like, like, how do I make this like more important? I'm like, I need a better adjective for the level of executive functioning that right? we hit because you're not just responsible for yourself anymore. Now you're responsible for this baby but you're coordinating both you and the baby together. But then if you have a spouse or a partner, like you're now, you've got to manage your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with the baby. You're also trying to quote unquote manage, which really you can't, but we're trying to manage the relationship between our spouse and the baby. And then you throw in another kid. Now you've got a whole nother set of relationships that you're trying to manage. And that's from a like an emotional standpoint, but also like logistics wise of if you have three kids and you've got to get three kids to the dentist plus yourself, you're now trying to coordinate four dentist appointments with the school schedule. They're only open during the day, during school hour, like it's stuff like that. You're like, ah, I mean, you got to fill out four sets of paperwork. I mean, everything is times four, but like, but more because Every, it's like, kind of like if you think about somebody who's juggling, it's easy to juggle two balls or three balls. But when all of a sudden you're juggling 43 balls, that's way more difficult than the three. Well, that's, I love how they say like, once you get past three kids, it actually gets easier because you've just completely given up. (laughs) So like, it's like, in some ways it's easier because you just, you're like, I can't possibly, they're just raising themselves Mm -hmm. at this point. And then somehow it just becomes easier. (laughs) Well, I think at that point you have enough confidence to know what is or is not going to keep somebody alive. 
And like, so you know that you have enough experience to rely on your minimum threshold. Yeah. Plus, you know, there's enough other humans around that like, if somebody's in trouble, hopefully another bigger kid will catch it. <laughs> it's like, I'm one of five kids and I'm the oldest. So, I mean, I was tasked with taking care of people all the time, even inadvertently, just because, you know, being the oldest child. So, you know, we all made it. Oh, I really loved what you said about the fact that like, by the time we get to the point of self-awareness where we can reach out and say, I'm in pain, I need help, I'm struggling, we're we're struggling so much more than somebody else who might reach out. And I'm I'm curious if, you know, when you go to the doctor and they ask you like on a scale of one to 10, how much pain are you in? I would mm-hmm. bet that somebody with ADHD is so much more likely to like downplay pain. Like you've mm-hmm. gone to the doctor, you're, you can't sleep, you're in excruciating pain. And the doctor says, are you in pain? And you're sort of like, well, I can imagine it's worse. So I'll say like a six. <laughs> well, other people have cancer and right? I'm not dying. So I feel like I shouldn't put it that high. I'm definitely down lower. Yes. Yeah. No, we are the queens of rationalizing and overthinking ourselves into, I mean, to, to the point of almost lying to ourselves because yeah. well, I think it's the self-doubt. It's that mm-hmm. like ingrained inherent self-doubt from, yeah. from living a life of feeling like you have betrayed yourself or, or feeling so betrayed all the time in so many situations that I think we just have no, we haven't developed any ability to trust ourselves. It's like going to the eye doctor, you know, and they're like, which is clear the first one or the second one. You're like, uh, uh, let's do the first one again. I don't know the set. And then you're so worried that you're going to get the wrong prescription. Maybe it's just me. No, it can't. Oh, no, I do the same. <laughs> but like, you know, where you're sort of like, Oh no, I've totally gotten the wrong prescription because I can't remember which one was better. And like, <laughs> where it's that same, where you're like, am I lying? Am I, I don't know. Uh, and just feeling like completely incapable of being able to explain what is happening right now. Yeah. I mean, we, we do, we've developed this lack of self-trust over time because we know what's true in our heads and we know what we're experiencing and everyone else is telling us that it's a different version of that. So we're hearing you're too dramatic or you're too sensitive or you're too slow, or you're too fast, or you're too impulsive, or you think too much. I mean, like, literally our whole life is being told that we are too fill-in-the-blank description. Yes. So you begin to think that, like, well, if if my version is, say, like, again, let me go back to, like, the number scale of, like, I think I'm at, like, a level eight, but this person's telling me I'm being too dramatic, so I must more be, like, like four. So then you fill out four on your paper... But if that person were to come into your head and experience it, they would be like, holy, what is going on in here? And they'd be like, this is on fire. It's a level 20, you know? So we've spent our whole lives trying to even out the dissonance that we're hearing. So we adjust ourselves because we think we're the problem, not realizing that it's just that the other person is different than me. They have a different perspective they're not experiencing what I'm experiencing. So it takes a lot of work to learn to trust yourself again and believe yourself when you say, I'm at a level eight or nine here, this is a problem. For you to like stick to your guns and be like, yes, I'm at a level eight. And when the other person looks at you and says, "Ah, I think that's like a level four, for us to say, no, this is a level eight. 
it is hard to fight for yourself when you don't feel confident about it. Yeah. Because you do, you start to believe everybody else. Ah, so true. I'm like, I um, could, I could like get on a soapbox for this for like the next like three hours. This, I know. This is one of my know, favorite right? new topics is that the, the dissonance between what we have experienced and what everyone else is saying and learning to trust yourself again. Yeah. Now that you know that, yeah, like the house really is on fire and it does need to be addressed. It's not just like, oh yeah, well, things are kind of hard right now. Yeah. And it's something that I remember experiencing with my babies too, that kind of moment of realization after going to the pediatrician all the time, that moment of realization you get as a mother where you're like, I know my baby better than anyone else. Like a Mm -hmm. pediatrician can give me expert medical advice in a sort of an objective setting. But at the end of the day, like my maternal instinct is so much stronger. I know what's going on. I know what is best. I know what we need to do in this situation. And so there was this level of like intense trust um, and, and, you know, realizing, oh, like mother's instinct or, you know, maternal instinct is like a real thing. And yet it's funny because I was never able to apply that to myself (laughs) until now, you know, I think, I think the so much that has come with my own diagnosis has been my ability to really advocate for myself and talk to myself in just a completely different way, but in like an authoritative way where it's like, no, you're actually, this is why you're doing this. And this is why you're doing this as opposed to always feeling like I was wandering in, in a foot of water, not understanding why I was so slow. And Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I always encourage women to get a diagnosis, even though if you don't officially need it for something, having that clarity and the confidence to know this is where I am. This is who I am. This is what I have. And this is what I'm dealing with. There is something about that knowledge that gives you the confidence to say, this is who I am and this is what I need. And this is what I'm going to choose based on knowing who I am. And some people don't need that. Some people are extremely self-confident and they don't need that almost like a validation, I guess. But most of the ADHD women that I talk to, having that, like, I'm a card-carrying member of the ADHD club, like, that just allows us to, yeah, just to feel confident and knowing that we're not making it up. Right. Yeah. And I think that's something, even, even though my psychiatrist told me I had it and then I went and got it, or my therapist told me I had it and she has ADHD. And then (laughs) I went and got an official diagnosis. And I even had my doctor during this, during the, um, um, the appointment, like I made her say the words, you have ADHD to me. And like, you have combined because I was so worried I was going to walk away from that appointment and, and feel like maybe I did, I misheard something. Maybe I misconstrued something. I forget. I didn't write it down. You know, like I, I made her say it out loud because I didn't want there to be any, any misconception or any doubt in my mind when I left the office that time because that's sort of how you operate all the time which is like I don't know but I, I don't remember maybe you know it does it just it feels it feels good there's like a sense of relief there that yeah. to know that that is really true huh yeah it's just it's 
I mean, with it comes, you'll get like the waves of the grief and the sorrow and all that, that you will, you will work through, but something about that validation is just a beautiful, beautiful gift that you're giving to yourself by going through that process. Um, and I know it's hard. I mean, dealing with trying to find the right doctor and going through the insurance, like all that, it's a lot of hoops, but I find that for most women, it's a worthy endeavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, I agree. So what led you then to um, start the podcast, the Motherhood and ADHD podcast? Because you've been doing this for two years now, right? Two years and ADHD years, that's like a decade. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, the fact that I even have stuck with something for two years straight, that was Literally, like I started just like as it's fun and I felt called to help moms, but like I enjoyed this, but like usually we're hobby hoppers and we do it for a little while and then we go on to something else. Right. So here that I made it two years is like, this is legit now. So when I had my first son, I struggled so hard between the postpartum anxiety and all the hormones. And I mean, it it was just, it was awful. And I had to do a lot of work and ask for a lot of help to figure out not just the anxiety, but also figure out how am I going to function taking care of another person with ADHD? Like this is a whole nother ball game that I was not prepared for. Like I had no idea it was going to be this hard. And so that's why when you said like, I'm, I'm curious if you knew, like, would it be easier? I'm like, no, I was not prepared at all. Um, I wish I was. I mean, but that's part of what, you know, one of the things that's, you know, in my grand vision of where I'm going with this is that I want to help moms so that for the woman who's thinking, I want to have a family, but I don't know if I can. I want to give them the tools that they can make this work. And so that they are prepared and they're not blindsided because I felt like, I mean, and part of this, you know, my mom passed away many years ago. So she was not here when I had my son. So I didn't really have anyone there to say like, this is how mothering goes because my mom passed away when I was like 22. And there were so many times where I was like, why did not, why didn't anybody tell me about this? Like, I remember after I had my son and the nurse is wheeling me to my room and my stomach was huge. And I was like, why do I still look like I'm seven months pregnant? And the nurse laughed at me and she was like, honey, that's going to take a while. And I was like, what? Why didn't anybody tell me this? Like, I thought I was going to be like flatter. What happened? You know? And so it's the same thing with having kids, like from a logistical standpoint is that I, I didn't know. I just, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And it was a lot of therapy, a lot of learning. And I feel like up until I had kids, I was able to kind of just like fudge my way through having ADHD and living life. And once I had kids, I wasn't able to fudge through anymore. I was like, now this is a big enough problem that you have to do something about it. And so I did. And I worked really hard. Well, then when I had my second kid, it was like, start over, like start from scratch. You have to figure out a new way of running your life with multiple humans. And he was only probably like six months old when like clearly 
in my prayer time, God was like, I want you to start a podcast for moms with ADHD. And I was like, the Lord has lost his mind. <laughs> like, there's no way I'm doing this. I mean, I am, I'm actually an introvert. I do very well with one-on-one, but you put me in a big, like a big party and I'm like a deer in headlights. So I spent, I mean, at that point, I'm starting to think like, how old was I? My son's three, 39, 36. Okay. So 16 years I had known about my ADHD and I hid it. I didn't tell anybody. Like other than like my husband and maybe like a couple close friends, that's it. No one else knew. And now I am going to put a podcast on the internet to tell the whole world, like you've got to be kidding me. Um, but I mean, still now, but two years before, like there really wasn't any, there weren't any resources out there for moms. I was Googling like moms with ADHD and I came up with like two articles and I reached out to both of those ladies, you know, as I'm like sleuthing around the internet, trying to find their email addresses. I didn't hear back from either one of them and I couldn't find anything else out there. And I was like, I can't be the only one, like at minimum, they say three to 5% of the population has ADHD. I personally think it's more like 10%, but I won't get up on that soapbox right now. How can I be the only one looking for this? I can't be. But when it wasn't there, I was like, okay, I'm clearly like, you have been called to do this. Like if I look at my history, like, so before I had my boys, I taught middle school, actually at an all boys school. And before that I worked in banking. So like I have, and I've had my own business several times, you know, serial entrepreneurs, another ADHD trait. And so here along the way, I've run businesses. I've worked in business. I've taught. I've, I really love teaching and I love teaching brains that are different because it, I get to put on my like creativity hat and figure out like, how do I get this kid to learn something like to like pull it apart and toss it around and figure out like, how do I get this brain to understand what's going on? And I taught Spanish. So teaching a language to kids who have learning disabilities is like, most people will just be like, it's not worth it. Like, we'll just put that in their 504 that they don't have to do that class. I'm like, no, people who have learning differences can also speak multiple languages. Like not to say that we want to make things harder for them, but like don't tell them they can't do it. If they want to, they can, we can figure it out. Like it's not going to look like what everyone else is doing, but they can, if they have the right tools and strategies. And I'd figured out a way that I can teach a language to fifth graders with learning disabilities then surely I can figure it out how to teach like almost anybody, anything. So I look at this podcast as a way that I can take all the different pieces, all the different journeys, all the different winding roads and I pull it together and I can use this experience to help moms who are struggling like I am, but also put my hand out and say, Hey, you don't have to be a hot mess. It doesn't have to be a huge struggle. It's not going to be easy because motherhood is not easy. Having ADHD is not easy, but it can be done and you can enjoy it and you can be confident about it, but it takes a lot of skill and strategy and tools and all these things. But once you put your mind to it, people with ADHD can do amazing things. And there are a few 
more motivated people on this earth than mothers. Like we get stuff done. So I want these women to feel confident and know that they can live beautifully, even when they have a brain that's different. So okay, you have so many incredible resources um, on your website. And are, do you work with people one-on-one or are you really sort of more of an advocate who you just offer an abundance of incredible mothering resource. I mean, you're incredibly prolific. So, oh, uh, so I want to just tell people like where they can find you and, but do you work one-on-one with people or is it I really don't. just sort of advocacy? Um, and- I mostly am focusing on, on advocacy and educating. So I'm working on classes right now, like people to learn like about ADHD and employing the, like the basic life skills that we didn't get as a kid, either because somebody didn't teach us or because they taught us in a way that didn't make sense to our brains. Like those little building block foundational pieces that when are in place, is like magical. But if they're not in place, then yes, our life is a hot mess. So that's what I'm working on right now is the like learning how to live well with ADHD. So learning how to, you know, organize your calendar and routines and stuff like that, or like, Oh man. Well, I would say before I get off on a tangent, cause like I could literally brainstorm 45 ideas with you right now, but you know, I can only make so many things at one time. So the, the calendar one is the one I'm working on right now. And my plan is like every couple of months to release another one so that people will have like a, a library of resources that they can choose and say like, okay, I need help with this. And I want to learn about that item. So I have, yeah, a bunch of free resources, blah, 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 blah a bunch of free resources on my website, which is um, motherhoodandadhd.com. And anywhere that I actually am, that's my handle, motherhoodandadhd. Um, And yeah, go grab a resource, find a way to help yourself live a little better. And then, um, yeah, when I have my courses ready, I did one over the holidays, like um, just lowering your mom stress and figuring out how to do the holidays well with less stress. Um, and then I had to take a little break cause that was a lot of work. And in the holidays, one of those like ADHD things where you're like, this is going to be awesome. And then you're like, Oh, that was a lot of work in the holidays. So I had to take a whole <laughs> break and then I'm getting back to it, um, for the spring. So it'll be really good. So everyone come get a class, learn some good stuff and make your life better. Awesome. Well, that is fantastic. I've so enjoyed talking to you. I feel like I could probably talk for another few hours. (laughs) So I'll have to just have you come back for another episode. I would love that. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback. And I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com or on Apple Podcasts or Audible or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at women and ADHD. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is women and ADHD podcast at gmail.com. 
If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.